Hi folks, this is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another episode of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. This is episode 35 of the Jesus Society Podcast, and we are here again today with uh, Brendan Taylor. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello. <laughs> and we are talking about um, uh, The Chosen, the miniseries uh, The Chosen. And this will be uh, episode uh, two that we will be talking about. It's our third podcast um, uh, dealing with the chosen, and um, and we have a as we as we start this, we have kind of an addendum that yes. we need to uh, need to address. We need to address yes, a, yes. a correction to the previous episode, uh, correction or or um, well, really expansion. just an expansion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so last episode. Oh, did you want me to take no, it? Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, you're good. You're good. <laughs> so last episode we talked about Lilith. And in this particular miniseries, Lilith is the name that that Mary has in that first episode. Uh, while she is possessed, uh, that's the name she goes by. And we we kind of touched briefly previously on uh, whether or not she intentionally gave herself that name or whether that was the name of the actual demon that was possessing her or or what. And we didn't really have an answer. Well, dear listeners, we <laughs> uh, we happened to research it and we found it. We found an interview with Dallas Jenkins, the show creator, where he himself says that Lil- Lilith is just the name that Mary gave herself. So we had so there we have that answer. Yeah. Uh, it, it is still interesting that the writers of the show landed on that particular name, but in the, in the episode itself, there's no real direct intentional link back to that mythological character. So, yeah. so there you go. And we will, we are, we're going to include the link, uh, in the show notes to the video, to that video where, um, it's, it's a, it's a really neat video. Dallas Jenkins breaks down that last scene Mm -hmm. in episode one where mary is um jesus finally gets a hold of her and um redeems her and it's just and he talks through kind of how they put that scene together and what they were trying to show she Uh, is she is healed and she is redeemed she is healed oh man we're gonna talk about that yeah yeah we're gonna talk about that um so and he says when jesus calls her mary at the end of episode one He's calling her back to who she really is, who she was born to be, who she is was created to be. She is Mary of Magdala. So, um, by the way, uh, we're also going to put a link in the show notes to a great video. It's a long video um, with uh, Jonathan Rumi, mm. who uh, is the actor who plays Jesus. Um, and he talks about the, the immense weight of playing Jesus. Oh, goodness. Which, um, it's like a fifty-four minute video. Um, oh man! And it's it's worth watching. I you can imagine, like if you're a believer, p- playing Jesus would be a yeah. Like you, it, it would be there would be a lot of weight yes. on, on you to get that right. Yeah, I, I I think for everybody in this in this though, um, it would be. I was going to say, especially in the angle that they're trying to portray Jesus in this particular miniseries, yes, uh, yes. as that more humanist, more not not humanist, but just more human, right? Than than what we normally see, right? Right. Um, okay, so um, jumping into episode two, 
much of episode two uh, revolves around um, the Sabbath. Now, the, the Hebrew pronunciation for that is Shabbat. So you will hear uh, the word Shabbat all the way through episode two. So I'm going to, I'll probably jump back and forth in the Sabbath or Shabbat. I, I, me too. I, yeah. I probably will yeah. too. I like Shabbat, but I'm, I've got <laughs> I was born and many, many, saying Sabbath. Many, so. many years saying Sabbath. So, yeah. um, so, so the way I want to kind of start this is for you, Brandon, and for me, how have, how do you feel like as Christians in the, and let's make it just specific in modern America, how have we, how have we typically understood Sabbath? Well, uh, I can tell you how I was raised to understand it, and then maybe and then maybe go on to the more general. Uh, but growing up, Sabbath was always taught to us as uh, Sunday, the first day of the week. It was the day of rest, so you didn't do any work. You went to church, you went to Bible class or uh, the youth group class, whatever you're going to. Uh, Sunday school, there you go. Sunday school with the with the right. felt board with the with the you know teaching the biblical stories like that it was a day of uh, resting and learning more about God spending time with family you know the big Sunday dinner especially here in the south uh, you've got the big Sunday church dinner everyone either goes to uh, grandma's house or goes to a restaurant and uh, that in a way kinds of kind kind of ends up becoming more of a hassle than it is a uh, relief or a rest. But, um, but yeah, that's, so that's what it was for me growing up. Uh, for the general population, I guess I would say that it's, it's kind of reflective of that. It's, uh, it's, it's meant to be a day of rest, but people get so busy in the uh, production of the rest that they don't actually get time to rest. Yeah. Yeah. So I did not grow up in the in the uh, buckle of the Bible Belt here mm. in the South. I grew up 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 north in Western Pennsylvania, and in our in our world, it was uh, same as you. The, the Sabbath was Sunday, um, and it, it it was don't work mm-hmm. like that's the that's the the big thing. You don't work on Sunday, right? And you know when I was growing up. Most of the stores were closed on Sunday, and it was a you know because we don't work on Sunday. That was the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting is I was thinking about this in in preparation for this episode. the The idea of don't work doesn't really get it right. the 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 idea there's a there's an element of rest, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But um, just because you're not working doesn't mean you're participating in that kind of rest right right um there's and, the, there's the difference between resting and uh numbing or, yeah or, 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 or um i'm not going to go go to work to my place of employment today mm-hmm. um but that doesn't mean i'm going to rest i've got a million things to do around the house and i'm mm-hmm. gonna da, 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 da. um yeah so that's not the quite quite the same thing um the um and, and and again, we're going to talk a little bit more about rest here in a minute. The uh, the Jewish Mishnah says, and there's an interesting phrase, says the rules for the Sabbath are like mountains hanging by air, for Scripture is scanty and the rules many. Wait, say that again. <laughs> I, I love that. Say that again. The rules for the Sabbath are like mountains hanging by air, huh. for Scripture is scanty and the rules many. 
So the idea is... That's fascinating. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. I, I love that phrase. Um, uh, yeah. So there's... By the time of Jesus' day, there were a lot of rules about Sabbath and what you could do on Sabbath and what you couldn't do and all that. Um, that was not built into the original idea. So so what is what is Sabbath? Well, at its at its essence, it's a it's a day of holy rest, not just rest, but holy rest. Um, so it's we say Sabbath in English. It was Shabbat in Hebrew. It's a it's a weekly occasion of of rest from sundown on Friday evening to sundown on Saturday evening. Okay, so, mm. um, and in spite of all the rabbinical regulations that came to govern Shabbat in Jesus' day, its primary purpose has always been to just grant us rest, to make us whole, uh, to soothe the frayed nerves and tired joints that comes from a week's worth. So God makes provision for our weakness uh, through Shabbat. It is one of the most sacred times in Scripture. Um, God himself blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God himself rested from all his work. Genesis 2 tells us that. Um, and, and so what does it mean for God to rest? Well, God's resting has been described, and I kind of like this, as the just simply the enjoyment of the finished creation. Hmm. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. So in the Ten Commandments... Uh, in Exodus 20, he commands the Jewish people to keep the Sabbath. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Keep it holy, right? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So so there's a focus there on the Lord on the Sabbath. Yeah, a Sabbath to the Lord your God. That's, yes. That, that kind of language is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, on it you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So there's there's a couple of ideas in that. There's This is sort of aimed at God, this Sabbath day, Shabbat. It's, it's, it involves rest, but it's kind of a holy sort of rest. Um, it's not just about not working. Like there's more going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, in episode two of The Chosen, right at the beginning, they, they say this about Shabbat. They say, Shabbat, Shabbat is a time to honor three things, family, our people, and God. And we also honor our fellow citizens. Uh, we are all God's people, even friends we haven't met. But most important, we honor God and all his works. And we rest because he rested on the seventh day. We rest to refresh our souls and know him better. I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I, that's, so um, I've got a book here that I told Brendan to help me remember to, to talk about. And, and, I, I, and he remembered it all by himself. I remembered it all by myself. Yeah. yeah. The Alzheimer's hasn't set in completely <laughs> just yet. Um, so this is, I've got several books that I just love, love, love. And this is one of them. It is called Sacred Rhythms. Uh, the subtitle is Arranging Our Lives for Spiritual Transformation, and it is by Ruth Haley Barton. And I will put a link to, the, to, uh, uh, to this in the show notes. Um, one of the things I, I love about this, there, there's lots of things. I, like, I love the whole book. The whole book is great. But she has a wonderful chapter in this book on Sabbath mm. and what, what it looks like to establish some rhythms of, of work and rest 
that are that are healthy and productive. So it's a very good, I highly recommend it. If you're thinking about Sabbath and wanting to kind of jump into it a little bit, there's lots of books you can find. There's some others too, but um, I would probably start with this book and I'd read the whole book, uh, even the parts that don't have to deal with Sabbath. So Will anyway. there be a link in the show notes? There will be. All right. There will be in fact, yes. All right. Yes. So uh, m- most of the time, I think when we think about uh, a, a typical Jewish Shabbat, we think about the, the meal, um, the, mm. the Shabbat meal. And it, it did. It, it centered around a family meal on, on Friday night at sundown, or as, as they portray in episode two of The Chosen, when the first star in the sky appears. Um, and family meant not just your, your own nuclear family, but extended family. It often included friends and occasionally, and we even saw this in, in The Chosen, strangers. Um, it, was, it was customary to greet uh, other people on, on Sabbath day with, with the greeting Shabbat Shalom. Um, and we see that in this episode. Um, Shalom means peace in Hebrew. Okay. Um, so it's centered around a meal. There's a, there's a series of blessings and prayers at the start of the meal. Um, some said aloud, some silently, uh, there's readings from the Torah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and usually the, the, the sort of ceremonial part um, it concludes with a song or two and a, and a prayer. And then the meal begins. And the Friday evening meal, the Sabbath meal, was the best meal of the week. It was, you, you saved your special food for Shabbat. Hmm. Uh, it was prepared in advance with great care. Um, the women would clean the house. Um, that was always their, their time to clean the house. They'd put flowers out. It was it was a special time. The, the, the meal w- was prepared well. The environment in which the meal was to be enjoyed um, was, was prepared nicely. You know, not extravagantly, but nicely. Um, and the food was familiar food, fa- uh, familiar family food. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, specific foods that were required, like in the Passover meal, mm. where you know, it was uh, bitter herbs and, and, and things like that. This was just, this was normal, um, familiar family food. Would you say like comfort food? Um, in, in a way? In a way, yeah. yeah okay. I think th- their idea of comfort food back then would have been highly different than ours. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah, point. Yeah. Good yeah. Point. yeah. So, and the meal was a, it was a, it was a friendly, lively, enjoyable time of leisurely rest and fellowship. It wasn't. It wasn't this formal ritualized thing when they got to the meal. It was a meal. It was a meal with friends and family, with all the all the joy and and camaraderie, and love that you would expect in that kind of thing. Um, I have known some people that have tried to recreate that, um, and try to experience that. I would love to find some. Um, I've never done that. I would love to find some. Um, some Jewish people or or Jews for Jesus kind of messianic. Mm-hmm. Jews, um, and be invited to a to a uh, a Shabbat meal. A Shabbat meal, yeah, and yeah. just just experience that. I would love to do that and just see what what it's like in the in the modern age. So anyway, Shabbat is an important thing in the in the life of God's people. Um, always has been, and um, and you're going to see that portrayed. Uh, in in several ways, 
uh, and we're going to talk about those um, yes. in episode two. Um, it's it's worth thinking about the way the different characters view Shabbat. I think. Oh yeah. 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 Totally. So, so we're gonna so we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna kind of move through. Um, we're not gonna talk about every scene, but there's a couple of things that I think stood out for both of us that that I think are worth talking about. So, the um, one of the first scenes, uh, Matthew, the uh, tax collector, uh, goes to see um, the 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 Judean preacher uh, named Quintus, who is the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, and I think I put a link in. Uh, last week's episode for a, a video about um, the chosen's bad guy Quintus. Mm. I, I'm pretty sure I put that link in there. Um, so Matthew wants to. So Matthew has had this interaction with Peter, and Peter claims to have struck a deal with Quintus. Matthew's not buying it, so he needs to go and verify this with Quintus. So he takes Gaius, the centurion. You know he's gonna he's gonna get him in with Quintus, and Gaius is not. He's not down with this no, thing no, not at, at all. all. At all. Yeah. Yeah. He, he basically fears for his life whenever it comes to dealing with Quintus because uh, I guess Quintus, as a as a Roman superior, he is known for his temper, his aggression, his uh, his willingness to draw blood at a moment's notice. Yeah, and we <laughs> and we almost see this in the in this encounter with Quintus because mm-hmm. he he almost threatens to just. And both of their lives right now. <laughs> he says, "Yeah, uh, so why shouldn't I kill you both right now?" Yeah, right. right. <laughs> and then, and then, who's the first to speak? I think Matthew, uh, Matthew is. Yeah, Matthew. Yeah. He comes Matthew's, in there. He's courageous. Yeah. Um, so um, Matthew stands his ground, but in in that moment where where um, Gaius tries to dissuade Matthew from going in, mm-hmm. we start to see something I think is going to develop. Um, Gaius cares a little bit for Matthew. Yes. Yeah. And we, and this, if we didn't see any of it in the first episode, and I can't remember if we did or not, we definitely see it in this episode and especially in this moment. Yeah. They're, they're, they're coworkers in effect. You mm-hmm. know, Matthew's operating his tax booth and Gaius is guarding the tax booth. Yeah. So they spend every day kind of together. And, you know, if you spend every day with somebody, um, regardless how different you might be, you, you, you learn to get along. And that's kind of, I think, what has happened here. Um, well, the reason they're going to see Quintus, Matthew is, is concerned that Quintus made a bad deal with Simon, and Simon can't really be trusted, mostly because, as Matthew says, it would be highly unusual for Jewish men to betray one another. Uh, and Quintus says, and I love this line, Quintus responds right away. He says, so says the Jew who collects taxes from them. Exactly, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So in a sense... You know, he's calling Matthew a little bit of a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. So, and, and and it's interesting, Matthew. In that moment, he says, uh, "He says for me, it's different." Yeah, and he, he, he there's says, like a brief justification. My, you know, my circumstances are different. Yeah, or something, yeah, like, something that. like that. Yeah, and he doesn't elaborate on that. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish he would. But um, so Quintus, you know, takes note of Matthew's bravery and and bestows on him a, a, an ounce or so of respect. Yeah, um, a very small ounce. A very small <laughs> ounce, and he asks Matthew's assistance in finding the, finding out the truth uh, about Simon. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna see we're gonna see more of that story develop. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an interesting in the in these first two or three four episodes. It's interesting the um, 
the interaction between Simon and Matthew. The way that they interact with each other and yes. and yeah, yeah. Especially, so, especially considering that they are that they're both in a way working with the Romans. Yeah, like Matthew being the tax collector, and then what we what we see later in this episode, uh, Simon, his you know part of his deal with Quintus is to is to catch Jewish fishermen who are fishing on Shabbat. Because those, if they catch anything, apparently they don't have to report that with their earnings or so, or something. Like that. Well, I wasn't they don't. Really... Yeah, they don't report it. It's and you yeah. think you think about it, right? So if you if you go out fishing on Shabbat, and I have no doubt that some people probably sure. probably did that, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but you're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna go sell it in the market that day because every all, all your fellow Jews know that you've caught it on on Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be kind of. And because you don't, because you don't, because it goes under the table a little bit, the Romans don't get their share of taxes from that. Mm-hmm. So, it, so there's a, you know, there's a socio-political, economic issue going on mm-hmm. around around this idea, as there as there likely would be. So, um, the next scene, and and I think, and I think you think, Brendan, Nicodemus is perhaps the most fascinating character in this episode. Yeah, is that is that is that accurate? Uh, I, I yes, I think I agree with you. I do agree with you. Yeah, okay. I, had to, I had to think about it first. You had to but think yeah. about whether you agreed with me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Nicodemus, the like, there's several scenes with him. This is the first one. Um, he so he's in his um, he's in his uh, little room studying, and uh, Shemuel comes in and he's all excited. And he tells him that the judges of the Sanhedrin had um, have called for him, mm. and we meet this character um, as one of the judges of the Sanhedrin um, called the Avet B- Avbet Dean. And um, <laughs> you that, said it, yeah, say, say that three times fast. <laughs> the Avbet Dean was um, the second highest ranking member of the Sanhedrin during the during the what what. Historians call the second Second Temple period, mm. which would have been Jesus' time. Um, we might think of him as the Chief Justice of the Sanhedrin. Okay, so he's the he's one of the top dogs. So this is a big deal that this yes. guy wants to see Nicodemus. So Nicodemus get, goes um, goes to see him, and he's a little nervous. I think he thinks that they're they you know they say we want to launch an inquiry, and Nicodemus says, "Well, what are the charges?" I think he thinks he's being brought up on charges for something. And, yeah, yeah. and it turns out that they have learned about the healing redemption of Mary. And, you know, Nicodemus went to see Mary and tried to, he did the, the rites and tried to, tried to get the demon cast out of, and, and by all accounts it didn't work. And now Shemuel finds Mary walking around in her right mind and seemingly everything is fine. So he goes to report it. So they want to, their assumption is, well, Nicodemus's exorcism was successful, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they want to launch an inquiry, um, and they want to uh, they want to send um, send word to Jerusalem that there's been this miracle that has ha- happened, and Nicodemus is totally clueless. <laughs> yeah, because he he wasn't aware that anything happened. Right, because when he when he last saw Mary. She was still in her, if you want to say her Lilith state of mind, 
right? She was still possessed. She was, you know, yelling at him. And there, there was that, that weird demonic voice, you know, coming from her. You know, you have no power here, teacher. Yeah. That was the last he saw of her. So this, this news that she's just been healed or, you know, redeemed. We're going to talk about healing and redeeming. Uh, but this news, it... It hits him like a ton of bricks, like yeah. a ton of positive bricks. It like hits. A ton of positive bricks. That's <laughs> yes. right. Um, so, so they want to, you know, they're about to make a big deal out of all this. Yep. The, the the judges there and the Avet Dean, and Nicodemus begs them to allow him to investigate himself before they could before they do anything further. His reasoning is, let's make sure that this is a legitimate and lasting exorcism. Let's make sure that this isn't just a temporary thing and you right. know, before we go raise a bunch of fuss, which is kind of a political move, I think. I think he wants to know what's really going on. Yeah. And and that's the thing about Nicodemus is that he he does know how to use uh political language to his advantage. And and and, and a person of his position, you would expect them to. He would he, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, he lives in that world, so he knows how to Exactly. think yeah. on his feet and yeah. But along with that, even though he's, in a, in a way, he's not really revealing his true intentions about going to go see Mary. Uh, we as the audience, I think I think we are more sympathetic toward him because he is genuinely concerned, and we can we can tell that he is genuinely genuinely concerned. Whereas everyone else in that room, they just want to see the miracle. They don't really care about Mary. Yeah, right. And that's and I think that's another bonus point for Nicodemus. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so we're gonna come back to to Nicodemus in a minute, um, but the we're kind of following the scenes as they as they manifest in the in the in this episode. So we switch now to um, the scene with Nicodemus and his wife Zohara mm-hmm. uh, in their house, and they are getting ready. You know, this is Friday. They're getting ready for um, Shabbat meal, and apparently they've got some. Um, noted guests that are coming. You remember Nicodemus is in Capernaum. He lives in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's his place, but he's mm-hmm. in Capernaum doing research, supposedly, um, is what he says. Um, and so everybody's just glad to have this noted teacher, um, you know, visiting them, all the local Jews. So there's some people coming over. And um, one of the lines, and I, I think Zohara says this, about the guests that are coming. She says, they've been waiting weeks and weeks for the teacher of teachers to lead Shabbat. Yeah. And, and, and she says, she says this, she says, it will, it'll be like sharing loaves with God himself while she's, and she says this while she's putting gold glitter in her hair. Yeah. She's right. For a, for a first century makeup job, she's, she's going all out. She's, she's gotten it, got it going on. Yeah. And Nicodemus is really upset with that comment. Mm-hmm. Right, um, he's not God, and he knows. Like he, he doesn't. He doesn't like that sort of stuff. And describe, describe his frustrations with, with what is the, the way Shabbat is happening. For me, in this episode, I I see his frustrations coming through. In uh, he he just he realizes that Shabbat has become more of a production than an actual relationship with God. And that really gets at him. He, uh, he sees all the trimmings and trappings and he sees, uh, all the, all the work and effort that goes into, uh, this, what's become a production. And he, he longs for something more. He, he wants something more than that. And he knows there's something more than that. And he's, and I think he's starting to realize 
because one of the things about good storytelling is uh, you you have to have your characters have realizations along the process or along the journey. Uh, he's now starting to realize that he's not going to get that from the people that he's around. Maybe yeah. not even from his wife, not from his colleagues, his fellow Pharisees, yeah. uh, fellow rabbis. He's not going to get that from where he is. Yeah, so, so he, he feels, he feels I think, kind of alone. A, yeah, alienated, isolated, In all this. alone, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so I think you're right. Shabbat has become kind of a, a production, and, and he is a, he's the performer, Right. Yeah. He's yeah. The, he's he, the, he knows he's a performer too. He's the he's the guy that they're bringing out to great fanfare to, to wave his hands and do his do his bit, um, and he just doesn't like that. It, it this Shabbat has been twisted in his mind, I think, into something far different than than it should be, mm-hmm. and he and he doesn't want to be center stage in all this. In his mind, and I think rightly so, God is the one who takes center stage at Shabbat. Um, so what, 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 what really kind of struck a chord with me in all this is this, because this kind of thing is not new. Um, it's not something that we just see, like, I, I still see things like this today. Um, so much of, um, so it's, it starts with things like, um, we, we have this great tendency in, in churches sometimes to elevate clergy. Mm-hmm to a to a sometimes a ridiculous level and the and the larger the church the more clergy are just put in in the, on this pillar um francis chan who who wrote this book um it's called letters to the church mm. have you read that not yet but it's it's been in my radar for a while you should you should read that book um you know francis chan if you don't know um led one of the a huge monster church. His was not just a mega church, a monster, a mon- church. A monster right. church. Yeah, it's bigger than it a, had a, seven uh, heads. It had right. four feet. <laughs> it had it had six wings. Yeah, it was a monster church. Interestingly, he would probably experience, uh, describe it that way. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Well, we're not going to get in those waters. Yeah, but yeah, um, he uh, and it was like by all external twenty first century trappings, it was one of the most successful successful churches in America big and huge and lots of lots of stuff going on you know by every modern measure of success that this had it going on he walked away from that because he felt like this is not really what god wants um and and some of that was the way not all of it by a long shot but some of that was the way he had become kind of this celebrity mm-hmm Right, and he just he knew from scripture like this is not, this is not the place God wants leaders of His people to occupy. You know, leaders have certain roles, but they're not. There's no elevated status, right? But we, I think Nicodemus is struggling with that in in episode two here. But but boy, there's something about that that speaks to me in our modern era too, where where so much of church has become such a big production. Um, mm-hmm. our, uh, I hope I'm not telling a tale here, but our minister at our church just said last week that how many people does it take to put on a Sunday assembly? Do you remember? 
I think he said amongst all the campuses, I think, or Camp I, excuse me, I think he said um, 250. So, yeah, I, I honestly don't remember the number, but it was a ridiculous number of people. Yeah. It takes that many people just to, I'm, I'm going to say this, this is going to sound bad, just to put on the Sunday show. Yeah. Right? Like that many people to just create this event every week. And and you wonder sometimes, I wonder sometimes, and boy, this is probably going to make people mad, but I like I wonder if we haven't gotten so far away from what church is really supposed to be. Elevated. Um, Ron, this is a spicy conversation. This is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is yeah. spicy. I, I, like I think I boy, I think we need to be really careful of putting people on a pedestal like that in the kingdom of God. Yeah. I just think it's I think it's dangerous stuff. It, and it, I think it's so common that I think a lot of us just don't even realize how far maybe we've strayed. Yeah, from things. I, I think it I think it almost broaches into uh, idolatry. It can. It, I think it can. It can. Yeah. I think Francis Chan was worried about that. Yeah. 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 So um, I'll put a link to his book in the in the notes too. Um, hopefully I'll remember that because I didn't write it down, but I'll, I'll try to remember it. Um, so okay, n- next scene. Um, so this is a this is a kind of a short scene. Um, Gaius, the the Roman centurion who's sort of working with Matthew, he comes into the to the marketplace. Um, and he finds there's been a disturbance, and some of the other, some of the other um, uh, Roman soldiers are, they've got a man kind of cornered in in custody, and there's a disturbance going on, and apparently what has happened is um, some Jew has kind of accosted Matthew um, over the issue of taxes. Is mm-hmm. That is that, that would you would you agree with that assessment? I mean, yeah. So Gaius comes up and the, the, these Roman soldiers are struggling with this guy and Gaius just comes on and he comes up behind him and he whomps him on the head with the butt of his sword. Mm. And of course the guy goes down and he's out. I can't believe they put violence in a Christian TV show like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and he says, Gaius has come and he turns to one of his underlings there, one of the soldiers that, are, that have been wrestling with this guy. And he says, he says this, he says, only one language keeps the peace, Marcus. Learn to speak it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the way they do business. You know, keep the peace by violence if, if you have to. Yep. So so this Matthew and this guy have, have had this altercation. And Matthew is kind of, you know, he's been knocked down. He's covered with dirt. He's sort of filthy. And Gaius tells him to go home and get cleaned up. But Matthew says, you know, he's got a strong work ethic. He's got, he's got a job to do. And he says, he says, my father never allowed me to shirk responsibility. And then Matthew admits that he and his father don't speak. So why don't what, what, what's what's our assumption as to why Matthew and his father are? I, I think the, on assu- the yeah yeah I think the assumption is the same reason why uh, Matthew is considered a dog even by his own people is because he's a tax collector. He's, right. he's basically uh, swapping out uh, life as a. Jewish person for life as a Roman uh, worker, worker bee or a drone or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever synonym you want to put in there. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's swapping out his culture and heritage for, uh, for something that is actually oppressing 
those of his family and right. those of his of his, his own people. culture. Yeah. So he's he's become, yeah, he's he's become a a man of contention. Yeah. So. Yeah. Even even in his own family. Yeah, and and in in Jewish culture in the first century, Roman tax collectors were often um, Israelites. Right. They knew enough to put Israelites in charge of tax get, getting taxes from other Israelites. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, boy, they were outcasts. They really were. Uh, and in Matthew's case, even his family has kind of disowned him. He, well, uh, well, what does Gaius say? Yeah, so Gaius, when, when Gaius hears that Matthew doesn't have a relationship with his father and he and his father don't speak, he says, Gaius, the Roman, is this, this Gentile oppressor, this man of violence, right? He says, how could you not have a relationship with your own father? And I think that is a powerful question. Yeah. I think it is a, you know, we often see, we often see, you know, one of the Christian, the one of the criticisms of Christians sometimes is that we're hypo, we're just a bunch of hypocrites. And people say sometimes that people who aren't Christians often live, live better than people who are Christians. And mm-hmm. some of that's deserved, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a, you know, it's a powerful question. This this Gentile, this non-believer in Israel's God, has a better concept of what family really is than some of these some of these Jews, some of these people of God. I think it's a I think it's a it's a it's an interesting question in the whole context of this, mm-hmm. right? Also because I think there's some spiritual overtones. Right? How can you, how can you, not have a relationship with your heavenly Father? I think there's a, I think there's an undertone of that, right? The with your own heavenly Father. With your own heavenly Father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so he asked that question, and 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 Matthew's answer to him, you know, how, how can you not have a relationship with your own Father? Matthew says, well, he says he has no son. So clearly. He's been disowned yeah. by his father, and Gaius just doesn't understand that at all. So it's a it's a it's a it's a short little scene, but there's some there's some real poignancy in that conversation that I think is 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 going to kind of play out like it's a it's a harbinger of some things that are. Yeah, I think they're they're definitely planting some seeds. Yeah, uh, for this relationship between. Matthew and Gaius, and I think it's going to be really cool. One of the th- well, you just said. Um, I think um, I think Dallas uh, Dallas Jenkins said, almost said Dallas Willard, different, <laughs> different Dallas, different completely Dallas. different. Yeah, Dallas Jenkins said. I think, but you said it. Um, your your characters in a good story, your characters develop, and they they come to. Oh, they have uh, realizations along the way. Right, yeah. right, right, and and so we're we're getting some development in in Gaius and in Matthew um, that's important. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next big scene, um, and this is a this is a important scene. Nicodemus goes off searching for Mary, right? Because he wants he's going to investigate this, right? So we find out that uh, there in the marketplace somewhere, Mary is talking to some of her friends, and she Mary is going to host Shabbat dinner. At her house, and this is apparently the first time she's ever done that, and she's very nervous about it. And she's, and several times in this in this whole thing with about Mary hosting Shabbat, 
she will say, I don't know, three or four or five times, she'll make a comment like, I, I, I hope I do the right words. I hope I do this the right way. You mm-hmm. know, please help me if I don't do this right. Her her friends at the uh, at the first century salon, uh, <laughs> yeah. her, her, her friends who are who are the hairdressers or whatever, they say, you know, they're giving her little little bits of advice, you know, and it's it's very it's very endearing because again you just you feel for Mary because she's trying to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah, and she's worried about whether she's going to get everything right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's getting ready to leave because she's going to go home. She's got she's got a lot of work to do at home. So she's getting ready to leave the the, the first century salon, yeah. <laughs> as you said. And Nicodemus shows up and he finds her and he says, and he's flabbergasted because he sees her and she's in her right mind. She's everything's fine. She says, it's you, Lilith. And she is, she, you know, she can tell by his dress that he's, you know, a religious guy. And so she's afraid and ashamed and she tries to leave. But he reassures her and he says, I'm, I'm, I ministered to you, Lilith. And she says, I don't answer to that name. I'm Mary. I was born Mary. So she, she's got her identity back, which is, mm-hmm. which is something that we talked about a minute ago. And like Nicodemus is confused at every level. He says, but you were called Lilith, right? And, um, she, he says, he says, I'm desperate for your help. You know, she she keeps trying to leave and get out of the deal, and he says, I'm desperate for your health. He, he's he's very kind to her in this in this interaction. He's, you know, he doesn't come into this as a. This is what you just love Nicodemus in this mm-hmm. the way he's portrayed. He's very kind. He's very gentle. He's he's not coming down as a as this religious superior. The way some others, you, you get the impression some others would, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he, he tells her he's a Pharisee visiting from Jerusalem. He's a man of God, man of God. He believes that she has experienced a miracle and he wants to know about it. Well, when she finds out he's a Pharisee, she immediately starts putting the shawl over her head and, yeah. you know, cause yeah. you gotta, gotta do this right. You know, they're gonna, they're the legalists. They're gonna, he's gonna come down on me if I don't do all this right. And he says, he says, you know, he, he stops her. He says, I'm not here to enforce Jewish law. Which is, you know, another thing that I think is kind of weird. But he, yeah. she does not know who he who he is, and she has no idea how he knows who she is, because she doesn't remember this. You know, they had this interaction before when she was demon possessed. But she doesn't remember that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, she says it's all a, a blur, and he is just so gentle and so kind with her. And he says, he says, but you're healed. That much is clear. I just want to understand how it happened. And she says that makes two of us. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. she doesn't understand either. Yep. And and then he says, he says, Well, how long after my visit did you feel the change? Um, and she says, Well, this wasn't anything you did. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> it was someone else. And he again, it's dumbfoundedness after dumbfoundedness after dumbfoundedness in this scene on the part of Nicodemus. He says, Someone else? And she says, He called me Mary. He said, I am his, I am redeemed. And Nicodemus wants to know who this guy is, right? And she says she doesn't know. Um, and he cannot fathom, there's a there's a line in there, he, he cannot fathom a guy that does miracles and seeks no credit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which is just insightful. So he asks her, because she doesn't know who he is, he says, well, what do he look like? Would you, would you recognize him as you, if you saw him again? And she says... This is maybe the best line in the in the 
first episode. And it's, it's, it's very biblical. I don't think she says it in the Bible, but other people say it. She smiles to him and she says, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but here's what I can tell you. I was one way and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. Isn't that, isn't that neat? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her explanation is just, I was this way and now I'm this way. Her, her account of her own transformation amounts to nothing more than I was lost and now I'm found. I was yes. blind, but now I see. Yes. Which we see again and again in Scripture, right? People, people don't have any more explanation from that than like the powerful thing about an encounter with Jesus is that you are changed after you meet him. And, and we just see that again and again. Um, transformation is often that way, but it's not always that way, right? I mean, it's not it's, always that quick, at least. It's not always that quick. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, so we see, we see in Scripture Jesus do, doing these, these miraculous things, and the, they're, they're so instant. But we know people that have been transformed in just the same way. I am people. You are people. <laughs> I am people, right? But it didn't, ta- it didn't happen instantly, mm-hmm. right? So is it any less, less miraculous or awe-inspiring when it takes time? I don't think so. I don't either. That's don't just either. that's the that's just the testimony to to the power of Christ. Yeah. I mean, we're we're all broken fallen people, but through this through this process of being made whole, of being redeemed, being healed, however you want to say it, uh it's no less miraculous uh no matter how long it takes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um Transformation, like that's one of my big things in, in ministry. I want to I want to see people transformed um, and made free, and learning to rest in the Father's love and and all the stuff that that brings. Um, Jesus changes everybody he meets. Everybody. So the next scene is um, we're at Nicodemus's house, and this is it's 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 evening now. And this is, it's almost sundown. This is the spicy scene. This is the spicy scene. In my, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you, we, you, you may agree. I, I do. Okay, I do. good. All right, cool. So, so again, we're going we're gonna to see three Shabbat dinners uh, yes. in this episode. And they, they could not be more different. And they all show us something significant about what Shabbat should be and what it so often turns into that's not that. Right, twisted into twisted, some, some twisted into say. yeah. So we're going to see this one at Nicodemus' house. We're going to see Matthew. Matthew has an interesting experience with the Shabbat dinner, and then we're going to see the Shabbat dinner at Mary's house. Okay, so we're at Nicodemus' house. It's almost sundown, um, and Nick. So the guests have started to arrive, and and we see <laughs> we see right out of the gate. You you kind of hear her in the background. Um, the, the, as I remember, the screen is showing Nicodemus, but you hear her voice in the background. Yes, yes. And she's showing the guests all the gold decorations that he had, that she has all around the house. Mm-hmm. You know, showing off all the all the expensive stuff. Nicodemus is very pensive when we meet him. Like he's he is 
there's some discontent in all this. And you just, you see it on his face in his body language. Um, and at one point he's sitting there admiring a, a tapestry that they have on the wall. And uh, he says to his wife, do you know the story of this? And so he starts telling her the story. And he says, it's Hasmonean. Uh, the story the, goes back 200 years to the reign of Antiochus IV. And you can go elsewhere and read all about that. Um, and he says, he suppressed our religious observances. Only when the Maccabees revolted was that worship restored. And then he asked this, this question. He says, who is responsible for suppressing our worship now? I fear I know the answer. So, Brendan, what's going on there? Well, when he says that, he so he's so he's looking at the tapestry, and the tapestry's on the wall. It's not like being prominently displayed in the center of the room or anything. So he's on the he's on the edge of the room, and when he says that, he immediately looks over his shoulder at the dinner table where all the other uh, religious men, religious leaders are. And he, he says, I fear I know the answer right as he's looking at them. Yeah. And I mean, he doesn't say it, but we, I think he is implying that this whole, this whole production thing is actually suppressing uh, the truth of what Shabbat is supposed to be. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's twisting it into something that it's not. And it's, uh, there needs to be a revolution, I think, is what he's getting at. Yeah. So little, little does he know there's one little, right around the corner. There's, there's one happening as he speaks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so so toward the end of this scene, um, a guest arrives, and and he says to Nicodemus, you know, this guy kind of in Jewish religious garb, he says, uh, "We are humbled and honored by your presence in Capernaum, honored Rabbi," and then he says, "You make us whole." Mm. And, mm. and Nicodemus, boy, that gets all he over He shuts him. that down. He shuts that down immediately. He says, only God can make us whole. And he's so right. Mm -hmm. He's so right. And as this, as this guy and his wife come in, and, and if, you know, if you know the New Testament, like you, you'll pick up on this. He says to his wife, just sort of, you know, he's saying this to his wife, not loud enough for anybody else to hear, but, you, but we hear it. And he says, try to get a seat near the head of the table. Mm. Right. Yep. Right. So that was a big deal in 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 the first century. It, it was a big deal in Judaism. It was a big deal in the Roman world too. Like you, there was at your table, there was a head of the table, and there was a foot of the table, and the 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 most prominent guests usually got seated up higher. Right. Mm -hmm. It was it was arranged by favoritism. By the way, I know a guy. <laughs> I had a friend in graduate school who's. I'm not going to mention his name because somebody listening to this might know him. But he used to tell the story of he grew up in an academic family and everybody in his family had a PhD in something or other. Wow. And he said that when he had um, a, a big family meal like Thanksgiving or something, people in his family were arranged at the seat based on their degree. If you had a PhD, if you had a PhD, you got to sit at the main table, and if you if you didn't have a PhD, you sat with the children. Oh no! No fooling, no fooling. Like why am I at the why am I at the kitty table? Well, because yeah. you only have a master's. That's why. Yeah, yeah. It was really <laughs> oh, that's it horrible. was really that way. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. So if you think that that kind of stratification isn't still occurring in places today over status. It sure is. Mm. Um, 
So this guy says, try to get a seat at the head of the table. That was a big deal because that meant he was more important if he, if he got the closer he got to the head. Okay, so the next scene, this is this little, and it's real short with Matthew. So describe the, the Matthew's um, Shabbat scene. What did you call it? Matthew's Shabbat with his dog? Yeah. So while well, he's he's on his way, he's got his he's got his dish prepared, and his he's little, on his, his way. little uh, Tupperware covered dish. Thing. Yeah, yeah, his little his little uh, clay Tupperware for first century Tupperware. Yeah, uh, he's got it with his food, and as he's on his way to his family's house, uh, this dog shows up and you know starts begging for the food. Matthew says, "No, hold on, uh, whatever's left over, I'll share with you." And then he and then he just goes on to his family's. Uh, his family's Shabbat meal, but he doesn't enter. He stays outside. He he looks in through the crack of the door, and he he sees his family. He sees his mom, and I'm I'm personally led to believe that he intentionally walks away right before he's able to see his dad, because he doesn't huh. want to see his dad, because he's so overwhelmed with shame. With uh, well, I I would say shame. Uh, maybe guilt in there too, uh, and just just the overall pain that he feels, uh, knowing that his dad doesn't even want him in the family. Yeah. So he intentionally turns his back right before his dad enters the frame. So. Yeah. Um, and then and then he goes back, to, and we see later, just a couple moments later, he sees or he he gets back together with the dog. And they they have their own. They wander off into the wherever they're going to go. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. they they have their own little Shabbat feast. So he is the, the Shabbat. There he is the only he is the only one in this episode that we see who does not have a place to spend Shabbat. Yeah. Which is Shabbat is a very communal thing. It's not it's not something you do by yourself. Mm. It's it's about relationship. Yes. You know. So yeah. So he. He, he, so he sets off, he fully intends, like he's got his little covered dish, he intends to go there and, and eat with his, with his parents and whoever else might be there. You know, mm-hmm. we don't know who else is there. But he just can't walk through the door because he knows he's not welcome. Yeah. And r- rather, than, rather than try and face all that, that kind of stuff, he just leaves. It's so sad. Yeah. So sad. There's nowhere for him to go um, because he has been shut out of family. So then we get to, to Mary's Shabbat. So she, she, she's at her house. She's got the, the uh, meal done. Everything's decorated. Everything's fine. And she really, really wants to do the right thing here. She's worried that she will forget the words and not do this thing right. And so some of her guests start to arrive. There's a guy named Barnaby, mm-hmm. who's a little bit of a... Um, <laughs> a wild and crazy guy. <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit of a doofus. How about that? For <laughs> yeah, work? that works. That works. Um, he comes in with a, with a woman named Shula, who we find out is blind. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we don't find out. We, we, can, don't, we can tell. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then two more guests arrive that Mary is not expecting. Yes. First time meeting these two. Yeah, and uh, their names are James and Thaddeus. Mm, now these are that sounds familiar. Yeah, mm. yeah, they're they're, you know, she doesn't know who these people are and why they're there. Mm-hmm. They're going to be t- part of the twelve of Jesus' disciples, and they say we were told this would be a good place to come, but we can leave if it's awkward. And she says, "Oh no, no, no! Please come in. You're most welcome here." 
So Mary is is welcoming and and you know very hospitable. Mm-hmm. But she again reiterates how apprehensive she is, and she doesn't know what she's in doing, what she's doing, and she invites these two guests to tell her if she's doing something wrong or or not doing something right. You know, she's very concerned about getting the ritual right. So everybody takes their place around the table, and they discuss the fact that there's an extra seat. Mary has left an extra seat. And Mary says, well, that's for Elijah, and that she remembers her mother doing that. And well, they remind her, no, that's that's a Passover thing. That's not for Shabbat. So she's and she's then, she's already messed up. Yeah, but, right. but she recovers, and she says, well, when Passover comes around, I'll be one I'll step be ahead. Yeah, 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 so it's okay. And then she gets her notes, and she's she's you know she's got a little yellow pad there, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> first century equivalent of yellow pad, and she's trying to make sure that she says the right words, and she asks, she asks if the you know do we start yet? She asks if the first star is out in the sky, mm-hmm. so somebody looks and says yeah, and she's just getting ready to launch into the the right words, and there's a knock at the door. That's right. And she answers the door, and it's Jesus, and. She says, oh, it's you. And they stare at each other for a few minutes. And she's just flabbergasted. And then she invites him in. And she apologetically says that she and her, um, she has guests and that it's her first time to do this. And she doesn't know what she's doing. Again, she reiterates that to almost everybody, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, This is where we learn that James and Thaddeus are disciples of Jesus. And Jesus gets the extra seat. And there's there's an interesting thing there. Like she said it for Elijah, and Jesus yeah. is often considered to be the, you know, the return of Elijah. Mm-hmm. So um, Mary says to her friends, he says, she says, friends, this is the man I told you about who um, helped me. And Mary starts to introduce Jesus, but she realizes she doesn't know his name, right? And And she says, I'm sorry, I don't actually know your name. He says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. And um, Jesus says, I'm honored to be here. Why don't you begin? And Mary says, oh, no, I, like, I couldn't do this. Now that you're here, you need to do it. And Jesus says, I love this. He says, thank you, but this is your home. And I would love for you to do it. Isn't that sweet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, Jesus is, Jesus is empowering of Mary at every turn. So she does, and she she starts off with this little blessing, and this is a blessing that we hear several times in the uh, throughout season one, mm-hmm. right? It's a common blessing said by everybody. I don't know that this is a that this is a, a legitimate. I don't know that these particular words were, were are something everybody said in the first century, um, but they said it, and it's good, and it certainly could be. Blessed are you, Lord our God. King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth, and that's that's something you hear mm-hmm. over and over again. So, Nicodemus Shabbat, Matthew Shabbat, and Mary Shabbat. So, discuss the discuss the 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 contrast in those three different, very different meals. Yeah, and uh, and really just a just a quick note if. If we want to bring back the idea of technical excellence, I think I think this sequence right here uh, flexes that muscle because we we see Mary she starts her prayer 
her uh, her recitation of the scripture or of, of that of that particular prayer. And while she is doing that, the camera then cuts to Nicodemus and his uh, his Shabbat meal. It cuts to Matthew and his you know quote unquote Shabbat meal. Uh, it even it even cuts to Simon and Andrew and Eden, uh, their Shabbat meal as well. Uh, all while Mary is uh, not narrating, but there's a, there's a voiceover at work along with a with a very gentle underscore of music, and it's it's a very uh, very compelling scene, and 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 the filmmakers are doing this intentionally because they want us to compare and contrast these different Shabbat meals. Uh, you've got Mary's; it's very humble, it's very gentle, it's very. Uh, it's, some might say it has a low production value, right? Hmm, so yeah. there's there's no there's no glitz and glamour. There's no uh, gold sparkly makeup. It's just people coming as they are and Jesus meeting them as they are, where they are. Compare that to the Pharisees' meal, to Nicodemus's meal, where even though Nicodemus is there, and we know we're, we're all kind of rooting for Nicodemus, he still goes on with the production, and he still goes on with the procedure. He, uh, he has his gold uh, plates, his cups. It's very fancy, but you could just tell he's longing for something more. Yeah. And then we get to, uh, we see Matthew and the dog eating in the street. He doesn't even go home to eat. He just sits down in the street and, and eats with the dog. Uh, and then we see, uh, and then we see Simon and Andrew, Simon, Andrew and Eden, who again is Simon's wife. Uh, we see them having their meal and Simon barely sits down for a second before he, he gets up and goes to, uh, goes on to do his nefarious things. Yeah, fishing, so, fishing yeah. on Shabbat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, fishing on Shabbat, and then at the very last take of the episode, oh yeah, he, yeah. we see him meet with the Romans. Yeah, because he's he's kind of on a he's so kind a of spy on, mission, so a spy mission reconnaissance, being like yeah. a double agent. Yeah. So, so but but yeah, we're we're meant to compare and contrast all of those things, and it's I think it's beautifully done. Yeah, and every one of those. Every one of those other, so in Mary's house, so the, the greeting that everybody says, right, is Shabbat Shalom, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shabbat peace, peace. Mary's house is the only one where there is real peace. Everybody is there as they are, free, um, full of full of love and friendship and, and joy. Shabbat meal there is everything it is supposed to be, even though... Mary is so inexperienced and so worried about getting it right. And she has done every, like everything is right Mm -hmm. in her house. Everything is right. It's not right with Matthew and his family. There's alienation there. It is not right at Nicodemus's house because Shabbat has become this, this production as you call it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's about the, the, the ritual and the, and the, and the big, um, uh, thematic, cinematic uh, kind of production of the whole deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. It's not even right at this. And it's just a glimpse, really, that you get of, of Peter and Eden in their house. Just like there's no. Right, right. There's no real story there. It's just a glimpse. But but it's, there's not peace there because Peter can't stay and enjoy it. He gets up midway through and just leaves. Mm-hmm. So the only place where it's the only place where the 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 peace and joy and love 
that is to characterize Shabbat, the only place that going, is going on is at the most unlikely place. This woman who just days earlier or weeks earlier, however long it's been, was possessed by a demon. And this ragtag group of friends who none of them have it all together, except Jesus. Jesus pretty much has it together. Um, yeah, such a, such a, such a contrast. And, and I, you're right, we're, we're meant, we're meant to see that. Yeah. It's a, it's a good space for contemplation, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very much so. Very much so. And I, I think it kind of drives at the heart of this episode, uh, where is that there's that thematic tension between, uh, wholeness or, uh, unity, uh, conflicted against division or or uh, fraction or yeah you know there's like that separateness that isolation uh, and you know no one would think that Mary who was just possessed would have it right yeah but lo and behold she does because she's she's accepting people as they are uh, and she has Christ's blessing she has uh, she's got Barnaby and Shula. And their mm-hmm. shenanigans. She's got James and Thaddeus, and it's you can just tell it's it's more whole. Yeah, it is a it is a it is a sweet communion of people that are very different. They don't even know each other, all of them. Mm-hmm. But yet, there's peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what what do you want to say? We're about we're about done. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? Any sort of final. I just uh, I, I do, and we've we've kind of talked about it. But I just wanted to to, to drive the point home that uh, that this episode there's there's this huge thread of of what it means to be healed, what it means to be redeemed, what it means to be made whole, mm-hmm. um, and and I just and I think it's very uh, very good on the part of the writers to incorporate that kind of language again, language in the script. That's another tool that you can judge on technical excellence, and yeah. and I think I think the way the way they have interspersed those specific words and those specific phrases of uh, being healed, redeemed, made whole. That's just uh, I think it's I think that's I'm I'm a fan yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fan of how they do that in this episode. Yeah, uh, and also I think we're gonna we're gonna see this played out later on in even in this season, but there's a there's a similarity between. Matthew and Simon that gets played out. And even, even later in later episodes, you know, Simon has all these cases against Matthew, you know, like he's got a bone to pick with him or something, but really Simon's doing the same thing. Yeah. So, well, those are things to look forward to. Yeah. And it's, uh, again, it's good. It's a good part on the writers of the show to, to plant those seeds early so that later on, now that we've had time to dwell on them later on, they're going to have their full impact. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, I guess my big thing, I, I, I really have been thinking about the, you know, Christianity has its, has its rituals, right? Yeah. There are, there are some rituals and there are some rules if you want to use that, that word, but those are, God gives us those things as blessings, they're they're for us, um, but so often we tend to turn them into these legalistic to do lists, mm-hmm. right? Um, that we've got to get absolutely perfect, or somehow God's going to be displeased. 
Um, Sabbath is a, is a blessing for us. And I think it's still a valid thing today. I think, I think the idea of Sabbath, and we could talk about, and we're not going to do it, about whether Sabbath has been replaced by Sunday for Christians. I think... That's a different podcast. That's, a different, that's a different conversation. Yeah. And I'm just not going to get into that, to that right now. But, <laughs> um, you know, in Mark 2, 27, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, yep. not man for the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. It was given to us as a, as a blessing, as something that is good for us, as something we need, and as something, something that is to bring um, unity and community and, and um, bind us together with the rest of God's people. But we often just turn those blessings of God into something that just makes our lives hard and unfulfilled. And, and I wish we could get, get beyond that. Um, and I think... I think seeing the way this is uh, Shabbat is treated in episode two here, um, I think it shows us that nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot more going on that's wonderful and beautiful in Mary's house. Like if you watch this, spend some time and really enjoy that. I'd say bask in it. Bask in it. Yeah, yeah. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll uh, join us again next week. Um, we're going to talk about next, episode three next week. Um, as always, we'd appreciate it if you tell us about the podcast. Uh, if you're enjoying this conversation about the chosen, um, please share it with people. This is a this is a, an important um, mini series that I think if you're a Christian, and I think even if you're not, like this is something that I think a lot of people should see. Um, and if, if you have questions about it or things you'd like us to discuss as we go through this, again, please uh, join our Facebook group and uh, post a question there. Um, and we'll, we'll do our best to, to talk about it and, uh, and, and answer it to the extent that we can. Um, check out our website, thejesussociety.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, you are greatly loved. <laughs>